welcome to Take 10 for Men. We are 10-minute conversations with inspiring men about how they manage their mental health. My name is Sophia Hatzis. I am the host of the show, and we speak to men from all walks of life, like Gotcha for Life founder Gus Walland. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. I truly believe that vulnerability is a new way to lead. There's stuff that we do that is good. There's stuff that we just don't know what we're doing. It's nothing wrong with being human and explaining that to the people that you love. Episodes drop every Monday morning, so make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast so you're the first to know when they're available. Today, we welcome motivational speaker and suicide survivor Matt Caruana to the show. Now, this interview is separated into two parts. This is part one because honestly, we met in person and there is just so much in this interview and we didn't have the heart to edit it down to one conversation. So we hope you absolutely love part one. Now, please note that we do touch on topics of suicide and depression. So if you or anyone you know needs support, you can contact Lifeline at any time on 13 11 14. That's 13 11 14. Please make sure that you look after each other and especially yourselves and enjoy part one of my chat with Matt Caruana. Matt, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for asking. Now, Matt, before we get into the meat of the interview, I usually like to ask my guests if they would think about how they are on like a scale of one to 10, where would you say you sit on that scale today? So if you were to think of one as being like the lowest of lows and 10 being the highest of highs, whereabouts would you be today right now? To be completely real, honestly, a six. The reason I say six though is because like mentally and emotionally, I'm quite fired up, quite motivated. It's just physically I'm exhausted. I've, I've upped my um, you know, exercise and my routine, looking to start some new initiatives as well. And so I've just upped my physical game that <laughs> I'm paying for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's unreal. I do want to touch on something I saw on your Instagram today, which was you standing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that and we'll talk about that later. Um, it's a miracle. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And like, it feels like a miracle when I was watching it because for anyone who is listening and not watching this, Matt is actually in a wheelchair and we're going to get to why that is in a minute. But mm. before we get into your injury and um, that part of your life, I want to sort of go back to the start. So you said, you've said in the past that when you were 12, you sort of started to contemplate like the meaning of your existence, which is like a pretty heavy thing for an early adolescent to contemplate. But I wanted to ask you, what was your life like before that time? Like, did you have a nice childhood? Did you have a complicated childhood? What was that like? I mean, looking at it from an outsider's perspective, it was perfect. Honestly, good grades in school, did well at sport, was a popular kid, like, I wasn't doing it rough or anything. No adversities, like really. I had, you know, family were going good. Nothing was going wrong, so to speak. Though in within myself, I always felt the need to. I really wanted connection. I really wanted connection, and I sought through, I sought after it in many different ways. And that stemmed from me not feeling close to my parents, which did take a, quite a big toll on me. Though I then tried seeking that through purpose. In meaning in life. You know, growing up Catholic, and you know, I always heard everyone's got a purpose, everything happens for a reason. But you know, you, you you're gonna find your purpose through the Bible, through God. And I just didn't resonate with that, honestly. It just didn't make sense to me. So I wanted to achieve that connection within myself. But when I started to go within and ask myself questions, that's when I started to experience pain. And that was when you were twelve, right? So that's when mm. you started to think like, what does my life mean? And that set you on a pretty complicated path, which involved 
taking drugs and alcohol to sort of numb those feelings. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about what that time of your life was like? Because you were only very young. Yeah, I got involved with drugs when I was 13. And that was a um, whirlwind of experiences, yeah. I mean, you quickly get addicted to it because it's, it's a fix. And you know what? It kills the pain, but it, the pain comes back twice as hard. And so you think you've found your, your escape and your loop and your answer by going to whatever drug you're doing or whatever. And it's just a vice. It, it doesn't help. But, you know, I'm 13, so how do I keep it up? I deal. So I was scared to tell anyone in school, any of my mates, and at family, forget about it. I'm, I'm doing my absolute best to put everything under the radar and hide it the best I can. I want to go to when you were 16 because that feels like a really, mm. and it is a very um, important and crucial time in your story. Mm. Because when you were 16, you got to the point where you made an attempt on your life and you've survived, which is an incredible blessing. Can you talk me through what that day was like? And we don't need to go into detail, but mm. what was that moment and the lead up to that? decision like for you the question's very interesting where it's not like something happened that day that said all right now you got to go do it it was been a thought for four years up until that point right and firmly believing it it was a day where you know if you know and it's funny this actually just came up now if i was searching for connection this entire time that day i had no connection really i just stayed by myself the things I, I, I used to love, right? Like getting up early, going to the gym. I wasn't doing that. I stayed at home. Even though I was training with my mom at the time, like almost every day, she, she would approach me and say, you might come to the gym, you're up late, what's going on? <laughs> like, are you going to come train? I'm like, mom, forget it. But at this stage, it's, you know, I've been going six days a week religiously, haven't missed a day. And now all of a sudden on a Saturday in the middle of the school holidays, I want to miss. It, it, yeah, like if you really knew me, you would have seen that sign. That, that's a big red flag. But nothing much had happened that day. I just stayed in my room, played my guitar most of the day. But it was that night. Yeah, I went and stuck out of my house. And I'm really sorry that was where you got to. You know, our adversity, our tough times, we can use to our advantage. We can overcome these like challenges. We can bounce back, but not just bounce back, but be greater than it. That's the biggest thing that we all have inside of us. And that's exactly what you've done. And so I, honestly, the fact that I'm here today talking with you, it's a privilege. It's a pretty amazing thing. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about what happened afterwards because you've talked a little bit about how you woke up in hospital and you spent two weeks in a coma, right? So woke up in hospital, mm. 35 injuries, some of them spinal, very, very crucial and somewhat critical injuries as well. Mm. What was it like waking up in hospital realizing? what had happened like did you instantly regret what you'd done it's funny when i woke up in hospital mentally and emotionally nothing changes if anything it gets worse you think you're at rock bottom and then you brought to a place where you're now more physically challenged where you have a spinal cord injury you know you unable to feel or function half your body and so you start freaking out and that if anything just amplifies the stresses going on in your mind you don't see yourself coming out of it of surviving and to hit that point, and yeah, it's quite dark. Though a lot of um, like <laughs> big perspective shifts like, like happened as well at that time as well. Obviously, given my mindset, they were very dark, but they then would transform to be something quite cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah, now you're doing amazing things. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what that early rehab was like because you're in this ward with people who I'm assuming are very, very ill and probably 
quite old, I'm going to guess, unless yeah. you can't correct me. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I, was a, I was like, a, you know, like a black sheep because I was 16. Everyone was mostly middle-aged. Like I, the, the oldest lady in there was 92. The youngest person other than me was like 25, 28 or whatever. I was a baby. And so everyone, yeah, everyone would always ask the same question. What happened to you? You're so young. And, and strangers seem to love the idea of asking, um, yes, a, a scrawny 16-year-old in a wheelchair, what happened to you as yeah. well? Because, yeah, um, everyone wanted to know what happened. But, yeah, especially on the ward, they, they really like, like that question. <laughs> and did you lie at course, the start? Of course I did. Yeah. What <laughs> yeah. did you say? I was so ashamed. I, um, I would say I had an accident. But, if, I mean, everyone on the ward said that. So I had to make up something else. I said I had a fall. When I was in hospital, there was a journal that, that I don't know who bought, maybe I think someone in my family, but every, basically everyone that came to visit wrote a note in there. Honestly, and I kind of feel embarrassed to say this, but it's the truth. I, um, the last time I opened the book was about two years ago. I read the first page and I just bucketed in tears and, and I wasn't able to pick it up. It's still at my dad's place. First page was written by my dad and that was... Yeah, like a pill to swallow. Very, very um, heartwarming there at the same time. But it was just challenging because you, you never saw outside for so long. I can't, I just can't even imagine really. But I want to go now to a very critical moment, which is where things also changed again for you. So mm. you love your piercings. So for anyone that's watching, you can see that he's got these. Amazing piercings. (laughs) Um, And you went off with your mum to get a piercing and you were sitting on the train and some man came up to you and he was a complete stranger and he's just like, so what did you do to yourself? And you told him the truth. You said, I attempted suicide. And he said, well, that was fucking stupid, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah. The the key thing about that story though is that he's actually the first person I ever told the truth to the first person like it, 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 it sounds weird but the reason that came about was because i you know just got these new piercings I, I, I feel like i look cool so you know i was actually feeling happy that day but on the train the guy was so abrupt yeah like, i gotta say you, you put it really lightly the guy was like <laughs> he was rude <laughs> he was just he had no filter <laughs> super rude <laughs> but why do you think it was why do you think it was him that changed things Let's just say he, how abrupt he was by him saying, like, what did you do to yourself? And just being so blunt, like, it, really loud as well. It, it, I suppose it broke my pattern. I didn't know how to respond to it. I never had someone like that with me, like, be so abrupt. And maybe and a mixture of that and also, you know, feeling happy I've got these new piercings, I sort of came out. And, yeah, by him saying that, again, a, a reaction I never saw coming. But... The point is, it got it out of me. And the next morning, I woke up feeling lighter. And that for the first time, I went and saw my social worker. And it, it like, without her chasing me up. That was a big point in my life too, because I, <laughs> I, I never went and saw support. I never did. My social worker, she was the only person who was actually real with me. When she sat with me, like, she heard me out and everything. And <laughs> like, she was making jokes and everything. But the one thing she said was, Matt, you opened up to this guy on the train. The first person you told the truth to in what, four months? And you're now feeling lighter in the morning. Maybe there's something there in that. But what if you were to open up to the people close to you in life? Could you potentially strengthen the relationship you already have with them? Now that, how do I say it? Those words like, like never leave my head, I swear, because it was such 
a hard pill to swallow. For four years, I had just not told anyone. I, I, I done so like much. I put so much effort into keeping things to myself to hold on to, you know, the pain. And it was going within that caused all this pain initially. To share is to go within. I was so scared to do it, but you know, she made a good point with that guy on the train. So I gave it a crack, and yeah, started with Viv, my ex girlfriend, who visited me that night, and yeah. It's funny, right? So four months, four months ago, I am this ripped, muscular guy. I, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I put a lot of effort into that stuff and I was looking freaking good. It's four months later. I'm in hospital. I am scrawny, skinny. I, everything's melted. I'm in a wheelchair and she's saying, Matt, I've never loved you more. The reason it's so profound for me that moment that she said that was because I had hid things from her for so long. I'm judging myself on the external. Everything is so, you know, <laughs> like broken yet by her saying, Matt, it's the first time you've been real with me, like in that relationship. Yeah. That shifted things in me. So I started talking to some of my friends and then some of my, you, you know, the two people I never thought that were going to know my parents. I started talking to them and my social work was right. You know, my relationships got closer. And so, you know, I started reaching out for support and that really helped at the time but it was actually i'll bring that up later because then i found speaking later on right and so i was blessed that the social worker asked me to share my story and again i didn't like talking still to this point i'm not really that comfortable with it but there was this voice inside of me that was screaming and just said matt if you were to help someone how would it feel and it's like i didn't even think and i just said yes (laughs) because the first time i shared I was scared. I was shaking. But these young people, they came to me and said they were inspired as a result. And so afterwards, I was left with this, how do I say, overwhelming overwhelming feeling of just, you know, confusion, gratitude, <laughs> excitement. <laughs> like, what's going on? Like, for so long, I believed I'm worthless. For so long, I believed I'm a waste of space that, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be here anymore. And I, I, I hate the fact that I'm here. And now all of a sudden, I'm of value to someone. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Take 10 for Men with Matt Caruana. Part two drops on Monday next week. So make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so that you're first to know when it drops. And remember, help is always available if you or anyone else you know is in need of support. You can contact Lifeline anytime on 13 11 14. Thank you for listening. Episodes drop every Monday morning and you can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Remember to take 10 and check on the man you love today.